Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am Austin. And today we have another episode for you guys. Either we get them out once a month or twice a week, and there's just no in-between with us. You just never know what you're going to get with me. I like to keep you on your toes. Life is like a box of chocolates. But before we get started, we have some new Patreons to shout out. Are you ready, Austin? This is fantastic. All right. Here we go. We have Sarah Nutton. Nutton? Nutton? Oh, man. I'm so sorry. I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing go that Sarah. right. <laughs> Hannah Puckett. What? what Jenny Beaver. What do you mean? Did you say Hannah Puckett? No, I didn't. I said Hannah Puckett. Grow up. Just pause it right now. We're going to go back and listen. We'll resume. Okay, you said Puckett. Keep going. Thanks, Hannah. I said maybe my peas are soft. My peas are soft. <laughs> Jenny Beaver. Hell yeah, Jenny. Chelsea Watkins. Yep. Molly N. Man, I am, <laughs> I am not good at names. I'm so Rattle sorry. Rattle them off and let's go. Not, not just. I'm not sure. I'm so sorry. Aubrey Zimmerman. I know Aubrey. Hey, that's dope. Yeah. Ricky Meek. Hell yeah. Kylie King. Oh, yeah. Whoop, we know whoop. Kylie. Emma, Heather Banner, and Katie Williams. What a day. Thanks, guys. Man, thank you so much. So if you are a Patreon, you're going to be getting stickers soon. And I started sending them out two months at a time just to save on postage. It's like the only thing I can save on. Um, For the price of just one cup of coffee per month. No, it's not you even that. Support Kelly. A cup of coffee is more expensive these support. days. Okay, true. So stupid. You remember those shows where it would be like a commercial about like for the price of nothing, you can support these dogs or else they're all going to die. Yeah, and you know who did that? Me. Yeah. I'd be like, "Put me on the highest tier. Let me save all the dogs with my $28 a month." Sign me up. And then my dad would be like, "Kelly, you're a college student. You, really you need to that? act your wage." Yes. I did for that, and I did for the children's hospitals. I don't know. I was just very compassionate. Always have been. Sue me. All right. Today, sue me. Today, but please don't sue me. I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> today, we... Oh, we were talking about Patreon. So, yeah, you get stickers. I send out three a month, so, like, the next round that's going out is going to have six in there. Um, and you also get early access to episode, episodes, ad-free episodes, and shout-outs on episodes. There you go. All right, so join patreon.com slash mama mystery. Let's get started. We really appreciate it. Today we are talking about the murder of Sierra Joggin. Oh, jeez. So this one's a rough one. They're always rough. I don't know. Um, let's just dive in. Sierra Catherine Joggin was born on February 11th of 1996 in Sylvania, Ohio, to her parents, Sheila and Tom. Sierra was her mom's pride and joy, and her mom said she didn't think she wanted to have more kids after having Sierra because Sierra was so perfect. Their mother-daughter bond was just unbreakable. 
Growing up, Sierra was very confident. She played sports. And in an episode on um, I Investigation Discovery, sorry, I was going to say ID, Investigation Discovery, um, they did a story on her murder. And they interviewed her mom, Sheila, and she talked about just how she wished she had even a fraction of Sierra's confidence. Um, she was very outgoing, very sure of herself. She was just an all-around good kid. She also had a great sense of humor. She loved to travel. She loved horses. She loved the country life, but she also loved the city life. Her family would often travel to Coldwater Lake, so she loved being outdoors. She's like an all-around fun, good girl. So Sierra graduated from Evergreen High School, where she played volleyball, and she had a boyfriend. His name was Josh, and they knew each other since they were kids, but at this point, they had been dating for about seven years. After graduating from high school, she started studying business at the University of Toledo, where she was a member of the business fraternity Alpha Kappa Psi. She played volleyball on an intramural team. And the summer before her junior year, she decided to start taking classes online so that she could finish her degree from home. So on July 19th of 2016, Sierra had recently bought this purple bike from a garage sale. And at around five o'clock that day, she decided to ride her bike to her boyfriend Josh's house, which was only about seven miles away. That evening, it was about 9.30 at night when Sierra's mom, Sheila, gets home from taking her night classes. She pulled up to the house and realized that Sierra's light wasn't on, so she just assumed either maybe she was still at Josh's house or maybe she was tired from riding her bike earlier that day, so she had gone to bed earlier. Uh, She didn't really react much because Sierra is 20 years old at this point, so no alarm bells are really going off. But around 10.30 rolls around, and Josh called Sheila and asked if she had seen Sierra because she wasn't answering her phone. It was just going straight to voicemail. She wasn't responding to any text messages, and she had left his house hours ago at around 7 p.m., and it really wasn't like Sierra to not answer her phone, so this caused some panic. Understandably so. Yes. Immediately, they knew something was seriously wrong, but their first assumption was maybe someone accidentally hit her while she was riding her bike. So Sierra's family calls the police, and a sheriff comes to the house to interview Sierra's mom and her boyfriend, Josh. Josh told the officer that the last time he saw her was at 6.43 on the dot, that she rode her bike to his house, and that when she got there, she was like, this is my workout, and that she rode her bike while he rode his motorcycle with her. And he actually took some Snapchats um, of this excursion as they're riding along this rural road. He's riding his motorcycle right beside her, and you, you can just tell they're having a fun time. It's like towards the end of the day, the sun's starting to go down. I mean, the ambiance is just perfect. It's like a perfect summer day. It's all you could ask for, right? Mm -hmm. So they got to a point where Sierra said, I can make it home from here. You don't have to take me all the way home. And Josh normally as a gentleman would, you know, take her all the way home. But for whatever reason, he was just like, okay, are you sure? And she reassured him, yes, I can make it. It's not that far. I've taken this ride a million times. Like, I'll be fine. And so he let her go the rest of the way on her own. 
And after that, nobody heard from her. She hadn't contacted anybody. She just completely vanished. So as the search was underway, volunteers and investigators are searching in ditches, alleyways, and fields, not knowing what on earth could have happened. Like, they don't even know where to start. So there was no recorded accidents. There was no hospitals that reported any Jane Doe's. Where was Sierra? Well, at about midnight on the night Sierra went missing, this is just a few hours after she went missing, an officer was patrolling along a rural road and noticed that a section of corn in a cornfield had been knocked down. So he pulled off to the side and got out just to check things out. And as he's searching through corn stalks in the middle of the night, okay, it's literally midnight, pitch black outside, he's overcome by the powerful scent of gasoline. And as he shines his flashlight through the leaves of the stalks, something catches his eye and it's a green fuse box. He turns to exit the field the same way that he came in and he starts examining near the road with his flashlight. Mind you, again, it's the middle of the night and it's only five hours after Sierra went missing. And I mean, I don't. I guess I haven't done a good job so far of describing this area, but this is a, a very rural area in Fulton County, Ohio. There are tons of cornfields. And in the documentary on investigation discovery, one of the detectives actually described it as like losing a kid at Disney World. I mean... A needle in a haystack. Yes. You're literally looking for a needle in a haystack. So So, let me get this straight. This dude's just wandered into some field that he thinks that she could be in? Well, it's not that he thinks that she could be there. It's just this officer is patrolling and he... Something just... I don't know. I don't know if it was just something in his gut was like, this is weird. These corn stalks are knocked over. Let's investigate. But... Or, you know, maybe some higher power sent him there and was, like, urging him that direction. But as he's scanning the road with his flashlight, he finds two pairs of sunglasses laying right on the side of the road. And then he peers through more corn stalks, shining his mag light, and it starts catching a reflector, the kind of reflector you would see posted on the front of a bike. And laying amongst the corn, he sees a purple bike, seemingly tucked away into the corn stalks like it was meant to be hidden. It wasn't laying down like it had been thrown in. It literally was pushed backwards into the corn stalk and just left. As investigators examined the bike and the area, they noticed blood on the handles of the bike and the seat of the bike, as if whoever was positioning the bike into the cornfield had blood on their hands. They also found an orange-handled screwdriver laying nearby with blood on the handle. None of this blood was enough to appear like a fatal injury had occurred. However, it definitely indicated that there was a struggle. And imprinted in the dirt was a tire track from what appeared to be a motorcycle. I'm just going to say... I'm not the brightest tool, sharpest tool in the shed here at the crime world. You're not the brightest tool in the shed. Yeah, I'm not we the, know. I'm not the brightest flashlight. But I'm not, I, I'm not the sharpest guy here over in this crime world. But when you told me that they were on this perfect summer night and he was on a motorcycle and she was on a bicycle, red flags were going off, going up in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, by the next morning, missing flyers had already been created. Just okay, me? Well, <laughs> I can't just give it away to you yet. Okay, go. So by the next morning, missing flyers had already been created and were getting posted all over town. Investigators were going door to door asking people if they saw anything the day before. 
one farmer indicated that he was driving southbound with his son on County Road 6, the same road that uh, Sierra and Josh had taken the day before, right, that they had taken their stroll on. He's driving southbound with his son on County Road 6, and they noticed in the cornfield along the side of the road that there was a motorcycle helmet on the ground. So he stops the truck, and he had his son hop out and grab it. And when he gave the helmet to investigators, they immediately noticed red stains on the inside and the outside of the helmet. So at this point, and I'm just thinking to myself, what was this guy doing with this helmet? Like, you find a helmet on the side of the road, you see blood on it, and you're like, I'm going to keep this. Like, why wouldn't you go to an investigator or a police station or something and be like, hey, I found this. I don't know. It's like the Napoleon Dynamite scene whenever they're trying to sell the Tupperware and she goes, I want that. Yeah, I guess. You're being pretty rude on this episode. <laughs> no, I keep mean, it, going. it kind of is, keep I guess. Going. It, you know, if keep you, going. If you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, this, this rural area probably is very similar to the scene in Napoleon Dynamite. It's too late to try to be nice. Just keep going. All right. <laughs> Bitter party of one. Okay, so anyway, he hands this helmet over to investigators. There's blood all over it. Like, what? What? So at this point, they knew Josh was, was the last person to see Sierra, and he said he was riding his motorcycle beside her while she rode her bike. So the pieces are starting to fit into this puzzle that paints him as their prime suspect. So with this, they go to his house and perform a search, but they found nothing of significance. No bloody clothes, no blood on his motorcycle, no blood or hair in his truck until they checked the truck bed. That's where they found a pair of coveralls with what appeared to be this like dried blood stain on them. So they ask him about the coveralls and he's like, no, I was just deer hunting. That was from when I was field dressing a deer, right? Investigators test the blood found on the coveralls, and it tested positive for animal blood. So Josh was telling the truth. Hmm. So now they're back to square one. They knew something terrible had happened, but there was just this huge sense of urgency if they wanted to find her alive. Volunteers are coming out in droves to help in the search for Sierra. They're posting flyers, searching fields, talking to anyone and everyone to see if anyone may have seen anything suspicious the day before. Assisting with the search, Josh is driving along the cornfield near where Sierra's bike was found, and he comes upon this white van that's driving really slow. And Josh followed this van for a minute because it kind of spooked him, and all of a sudden, the driver of the van just guns it and takes off. So Josh tried keeping up with this van so that he could get a license plate number and give it to police, right? But he was only able to make out a portion of the license plate. But with this information, he calls the police and gives them a description of the van and the plate information. So police actually find the van and pull it over. And the driver of the van was a woman who said that she sped off because she thought someone was following her and it scared her. So police search the van. They find no evidence indicating that Sierra had ever been in that van and that woman was released. So again, we're back at square one. It's now been three days since Sierra was last seen by her boyfriend, Josh. With no apparent leads to a suspect, investigators go through their database to try to find any convicted felons in the area where Sierra was abducted. It was Josh. 
They come across. I feel bad saying that because if it wasn't, I'm going to feel like I asked, but I think it's Josh. Okay. So they come across a convicted felon named James Worley who lived pretty close to the area where she was last seen. Detectives go to James's house where he was living at the time with his mother. They lived on this property, and it seemed like a pretty small property, just a small square. But on that square, there was like some barns and the house, and then there was this little pond that was kind of tucked under a border of trees. And it's a very small property, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, not nowhere, but it's rural. These freaking episodes always make me think now when you got a bunch of sheds on the property, it's trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's good to be aware. So they knock on the door and James answers and he appears very hostile to the investigators. And as they're asking him just general questions, he goes, so you're going to tell me this is just under the guise of checking every household and you're not here for any particular reason. And investigators tell him, well, there's a local girl missing to which he coldly responds. I'm not out there killing chicks, dude. I don't have relationships. I'm trying to get one started online a little bit right now. And she's been out here. And guess what? She went home alive. And that's a quote. That's an actual quote. She went home alive. That's suspicious. That's sus. So they ask him if they can look through his house. And he's very hesitant to let them in. But begrudgingly, he lets them in. And he takes them from room to room, saying things like, quote, see, look, no dead bodies. And this even, dude's a weirdo. And even goes on to tell an agent to his face, quote, if I was a psychopath, I would have grabbed your gun and shot you all by now. Yeah, End this quote. dude is a psychopath. And the agent is like, no, I'm too quick for that. And then he, he kind of turns it around, and he's like, well, I'm just saying, man, it's not cool for you to be saying all this stuff about me. Like, he just... He's just a freaking loose cannon. And at this point, I'm like, dude, you are not doing a good job of concealing your guilt right now. Like, even if you didn't have anything to do with it, you're acting so sus. This is not a good first impression. So then James shows them around the outside of the property. He shows them his barns, and as time kept passing, James kept getting more and more agitated. Inside one of the barns, they're looking around, and James is making comments like, let's get out of here. It's hot. It's really hot in this barn. Let's get out of here. Oh, my God. They're going to find something in that barn. That's my new prediction. But the investigators notice that the the ground appears to be disturbed like it was freshly raked. There was a rake setting against the wall, and then the ground in front of it, you could see all the rake marks. And then there's this big stack of hay bales kind of forming like a pyramid or a tower kind of. Um, So they start disassembling this tower of hay bales. And as they're disassembling this tower, they find this huge green box. And it looks like a a green wooden box that you would use to create an animal. Like the top of it was wooden and then the sides were wrapped in chicken wire. And James keeps trying to distract them. Like, hey, look over here. There's more for you to look at over here. Like, Are you being serious? I'm being so serious. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And it's, I'm only laughing because this guy is just so obvious. I, it's I don't know. It's a classic know. dumb criminal. I mean, all criminals are so stupid. I just, I hate this story, but I, this guy, wow. 
So the investigators literally just ignore him, and they they open the box. And inside the box are a bunch of Ziploc bags with women's clothing in the bag. And each Ziploc bag is labeled. So one bag has a pair of jean shorts labeled Daisy Dukes. And another, another bag has underwear, and it's labeled boy shorts. And another one says beach shorts. And another one says white lace dress plus thong. And there's another one with lace bra and panties. Another one with black lace dress, leggings, pink lace teddy. Investigators ask him, hey, what's with all the women's clothes? Because they're obviously creeped out by this. In a weird spot hidden in your It's bar. hidden under the hay in a green box. Like, I get it, you live with your mom, but this is like way, way too much to conceal. And you thought this up, like. Right. And so they ask him about it and he goes, I just get that stuff to treat girls. What's wrong with giving girls stuff? They like that shit. It's literally what he said. So at this point, James starts getting really defensive. And investigators have had enough, and they decide to bring him to the station for questioning while they continue to search his property. They know, the investigators know, they have this hunch, this gut feeling, they're in the right place, they're on the right track. They are getting closer to Sierra. They can just feel it, right? And they don't want him over their shoulder the whole time. Exactly. Or, you know, going off and actually grabbing a gun and shooting them. Mm-hmm. So they continue disassembling the Tower of Hay Bales and find this really unusual setup where the hay was arranged kind of like a four-post bed, and it was surrounded by the walls of hay. And then sure enough, they found a blow-up mattress nearby, sex toys, masks, whips, and duct tape. They continue moving stuff out, trying to get to the bottom of the hay. And as they removed the last bale of hay, they noticed this large piece of plywood on the ground with holes cut into it. Investigators remove the plywood and observe a large freezer underneath. Oh my gosh. They open the lid to the freezer, but Sierra was not in it. The freezer was lined with carpet, reeked of bleach, but James said... That's just where I stored my weed. And the other stuff was just because he was going to start a business producing porn in his barn. He was going to make an LLC in everything. Like, he was making this legit. And he swore up and down that he has never hurt, raped, or killed anyone ever. So, which is interesting that he would he would say those words when Sierra hasn't even been found. There's no... There's no lead on where Sierra might be other than their hunch, but he doesn't know that. So the fact that he's even saying, listen, I've never hurt, raped, or killed anyone, it's like... It's like I'm telling you exactly what I did do. Exactly. So four days after Sierra went missing, a farmer came upon a suspicious... Wait, can I ask you a question? Yes. Did this dude just get to go free? No, they held him. Okay. Yeah, and it was actually while he was being held and being questioned that this farmer came upon a suspicious scene in a cornfield. And it was kind of this mound of dirt. And he just thought it looked not right. And of course, at this point, everyone in town knows about this missing girl. Everyone is aware. They're looking for her. So he alerts investigators. They come out to inspect the area. And they start digging it up. And ultimately, that is where they found Sierra, buried down below. She was found bound. Her her wrists and ankles were bound. She had a a plastic dog toy 
shoved in her mouth so hard with so much force that it broke one of her front teeth. And she was wearing an adult diaper, which that part, I don't know why, that part like really disturbs me. So creepy. Oh. Yeah. I debated including it, but when I listened to other podcasts on this and I listened to other videos and testimony, like videos from the trial, um, it was a key piece of information because, I mean, the jury, which was made up of mostly women, had to hear this, had to see pictures. Like, I just, I can't even imagine. Investigators were crying as they described what they found. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine it. And then Sheila, her poor daughter, her poor daughter, like, how, how do you go on living? I have no idea. So James Worley was charged with Sierra's abduction and murder. Faced with physical evidence, investigators were able to surmise what happened the night of Sierra's murder. They believed that as Sierra rode her bike along the road, shortly after Josh turned the other way, like he was probably following her. Well, James actually passed her. They believe that James passed her while he was riding his motorcycle and that he stopped along the side of the road ahead of Sierra, knowing that Sierra was going to come up and pass him on her bike. And that as she got closer, he grabbed his helmet. And as she approached him, he swung his motorcycle helmet and knocked her off her bike. This probably knocked her out and he dragged her into the cornfield and he left her there while he went to go get his truck and come back and get her once the sun went down. He then took her to his barn where he assaulted her. Her DNA was found on that mattress. It was also found on strips of duct tape. One of the articles of underwear, it was like this shimmery pink underwear that you'd find at like a, one of those like novelty shops. Um, there, her blood was found in it. Um, and when Sierra was found, she was bound with a black pair of handcuffs, and the key to those cuffs was found on James's keychain. So during the trial, a witness named Robin Gardner testified that in July of 1990, James ran her down with his truck, held a screwdriver to her neck, and threatened to kill her if she didn't come with him. And so she got into his truck and Somehow she escaped. She had seen someone passing by, and I don't know if she jumped out of her truck, but she managed to escape and, you know, wave this passerby down and survived. And so he was sentenced for that crime, only four to 10 years in prison. He only ended up serving three years for that attempted abduction. And then did the exact same thing. Yes. And he was listed as a felon in the database, obviously, but nobody living near him could have known about his criminal history because it's not like a sex offender registry where it's just open to the public, right? It was an attempted abduction? It was an attempted abduction, but he's listed as just a felon for a violent crime, not a sex crime. So it's not like his information would have been public, right? Mm -hmm. So on March 27th, 2018, James was found guilty on 17 of the eight, I'm sorry, of the original 19 charges in the abduction of murder and murder of Sierra, and he was sentenced to death. The judge in this case upheld his conviction and sentencing, saying, quote, if I thought there was a snowball's chance in hell that you were innocent, you'd be looking at a life sentence, end quote. But he agreed that James deserved the death penalty for his crimes. He is set to be executed on May 20th of 2025. 
not soon enough, but at least there's a date set, right? Following Sierra's murder, her mom set to change the legislation in honor of her daughter's memory. She argued that not enough information was accessible to the public or law enforcement regarding violent convicted felons living in their community. So in 2017, Sierra's law was created to allow residents to access records of violent offenders in their area. And originally, they hoped that it could be accessible online, similar to a sex offender registry. But they kind of compromised and agreed that residents could go to the local sheriff's office and request that information, and that information would be made available to them. The bill was passed and went into effect in 2019. Sierra's mom also started a charitable organization called Justice for Sierra, which provides self-defense training for schools and communities, as well as an annual 5K in memory of Sierra. Well, it's awesome what her mom's done, her family's done. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that law makes a lot of sense, and it should be just accessible online. I know. Um, you know, uh, the argument, the contesting to it was that it would be a breach of privacy. Well, I don't know. I think especially crimes that are violent, you should be able to know if your neighbor has a violent past. I mean, I agree that that should be, you know, information made available to you, similar to a sex offender registry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but I, I mean, the only silver lining here, if you can even call it that, is that her her mom is doing things in her memory and hopefully it saves lives going forward. And that is a, that's a great, um, I'm sorry, what? Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't interrupt you. I was just saying a very commendable like journey to go down, you know? Yes. It's, it's a great way to honor her legacy for Mm -hmm. sure. So that is our story this week. We will be back soon. With another episode, if you'd like to request an episode, go to mamamystery.com and you can fill out that request form and request an episode. Until next time. Good job, Kelly. Mama Mystery.